Hey, I'm Jonathan. Really good to be here. Um, I am uh, covering for Elliot this week, and I'm the uh, church planter, uh, planting pastor of our Napier congregation and ministry uh, in South Nashville. So really, really good to get to preach with you guys today and help kind of finish up this series that we've been in in the summer on the Apostles' Creed. So you guys know, I'm sure by now, uh, you guys, you know, Elliot has, has talked a lot about the Apostles' Creed and how it's the you know, these are the foundational tenets, kind of the things that we're all stacking our hands on as believers and saying, this is what we believe. And so one of the things you just said you believed was you believe in the Holy Spirit. So who do you believe in, right? That's what we're gonna be talking about today. We're gonna explore um, who Jesus in John chapter 14 teaches us that the Holy Spirit is. Um, Do I have a reader? It's me. Yes. So I'm going to read for us. So turn to John chapter 14. Um, I'm going to read the first part of verse one uh, to give us some context. And then I'm going to read uh, two little sections in chapter 14 where Jesus teaches us uh, who who the Holy Spirit is. All right. So please read along with me. This is the word of the Lord. John chapter 14. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let me pray real quick. Jesus, um, thank you for this word. Lord, uh, I, I just, I'm very thankful that um, as a man with a troubled heart amongst people with troubled hearts, we get to hear about the one who's with us in it. So would you get all the glory uh, from the time that we're now gonna spend together? In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the, the context for this is really important. And it's why I kind of awkwardly read the first part of verse one. And then we, we, we read on about the Holy Spirit because the context in which Jesus is giving us what is the first real teaching on the Holy Spirit ever in scripture is the context of trouble and being troubled and having troubled hearts. So this is really the first time that the Holy Spirit has been taught on. Now I'm not saying the Holy Spirit hasn't existed before this, or we haven't seen the word Holy Spirit or people have not engaged with the Holy Spirit, or we haven't seen things the Holy Spirit has done. The Holy Spirit is all throughout scripture because he's God In fact, in Genesis 1-1, the very, very beginning, we hear that the spirit of God was was present and part of creation. Before there really was creation, when when it says the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters or hovering over the deep, this kind of poetic sense of chaos before there was creation, the spirit was present. So the spirit's always been, but this is the first time in history that we've gotten any teaching on the spirit, which is amazing. And the one who's teaching us is amazing. It's Jesus. 
and the context for getting this first teaching on the Holy Spirit, very significant, is trouble. And that's very important. So the disciples have just been told, it's just there at the end of chapter 13 and verse 34, that Jesus is gonna be leaving. And I, I can't get myself and I can't get us to, to be in their shoes and really experience what that would have meant for them. But just hear me, they were devastated. Like imagine a father figure and a brother figure and a spouse figure and like the most important people in your life all together in one told you, I'm gonna be leaving you, like I'm going. And there in verse 34, 35, Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't come. They were devastated. Their hearts were troubled. And so Jesus looks at them at the beginning and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let me help you. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me reveal to you what's coming and who is coming that will be with you in your trouble. So as we look at the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach on this, this passage and on this, this topic in the sentence, he is with you. Because that's what we've just heard. The Holy Spirit is with you in your trouble. So he is with you. Three, uh, three points. First, he is. Who is he? And then you. If he's with you, then who's the you that he's with? And then finally, with. What, what does it mean that he's with us? Okay, so who is he? You know, he is, uh, is both the subject and the verb of the sentence. That's something profound and important to notice. I'm not a, uh, what do we call them, grammarians? I'm not a grammarian, I'm not an English teacher, but I'm pretty sure he is, is both the subject and the verb. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian God is the subject and the verb. He's the person, he's the one, he's doing it, but he's also the work that he does. He's the whole thing. It's why when, when Moses encountered Jesus in the burning bush, which some people think was the spirit of God in the burning bush, God tells Moses through his spirit, his burning spirit in the bush, I am. You wanna know who I am? You ask me, who are you? I am. He's the subject and the verb. So the Holy Spirit, first of all, is God. All right, and now immediately we're now in the, in the tumbling dryer of the Trinity. Feels like our brains have been put on high in, this, in the dryer. In, even in this passage, we get to see the, the theology, the, the belief we have that scripture gives us that God is not, he's one, because the Old Testament says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one, but he's not singular. He's not undiverse. He's not a, he's not a blank white wall. He has diversity in his unity. He has diversity amongst the three persons of God that we see in scripture, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And so we have in this passage, Jesus, the Son, speaking about the Holy Spirit and saying, I'm gonna leave you. Jesus says, I'm gonna leave you. He tells that to the disciples. And by the way, he's still gone. So in one sense, I'm not trying to be funny, but in one sense, he's not with us. He's not with us, at least in the same way that he was with the disciples, He's not on this earth living and breathing. We even just read it in the Apostles' Creed when it says he ascended into heaven and is sitting, seated at the right hand of God the Father. But Jesus in this passage says, I'm going, but I'm gonna send my spirit. And he says, I'm gonna be with you. So you hear that? Jesus saying, I'm leaving, but I'm gonna be with you. There's the Trinity. 
There's the Jesus, the son and God, the Holy Spirit, both gone and present. All right, you're in the dryer now. So if Jesus is saying, I'm leaving and I know you're sad and your hearts are troubled by that, but guess what? What is coming is even better. We'll look at that in a second. Jesus says that, he says, it's actually better that I leave because what's coming is even better. Well, then who is that? All right, he is, who is he? Well, he's God, he's the third member of the Trinity. But in this passage, we get some specific information about the Holy Spirit and his uniqueness, right? God is unity, he's one, but he's also diversity. So what are some of the diversities of the Holy Spirit? Well, it says he is another helper there in verse 16. And I will ask the father, he will give you another helper. I'm not a better Greek translator than whoever translated the ESV, but I don't like the word helper. Like my dog that goes to fetch the paper could be a helper, all right? Uh, some other words that your, your translations might give for this is um, the, the comforter, which is nice. I love a comforter. It looks really nice on my bed. A counselor, okay? Also, they, they all kind of give us pieces of this, but like a lot of words in Greek, the translation isn't one-to-one. There's not one single word that takes the place of this Greek word here. The Greek word is parakletos, Okay it probably takes about six or seven words to really give us the understanding of what parakletos is. And sure, helper is part of it, comforter is part of it. But parakletos is a compound word. Para means standing by your side, alongside you. Para means everything that follows it is is right there alongside you. So it's a picture of a friend who's standing at the hip is connected at the hip to you, as close to you and as side by side to you as anyone can be. That's para. And then kletos is the word, the Greek word kaleo, which is to call or to shout out. So the picture we get of the Holy Spirit as the paraclete or the parakletos is a friend by your side, defending you, standing next to you, calling out in your defense, shouting out for you on your behalf in your trouble. You know, there's actually a use of this word that has kind of a technical meaning, which for us would be the word defense attorney. A paraclete was someone that would in court in that day and age, in that, in that day and age in court would, would advocate for you and defend you, would be your defense, be your defense attorney. A friend by your side, shouting out on your behalf, calling out in your defense. Um, over the last, oh goodness, at this point, a couple years, um, but even just this past week, I've had the chance to do something that uh, I count it a very beautiful joy, but also um, challenge and uh, painful element of what it means to be a pastor in the Napier community, because I often get the chance to uh, go with people to court. And uh, I'm not an attorney. I don't represent them in any kind of legal official capacity, but I'm a friend with them. But I'm not just a friend with them. And this is how, in a kind of a breaking way, I've gotten to experience some of what I think is meant by this word paraclete, is when I go with this, this guy that I was with in court with this past week, um, I bring something that he doesn't have. Um, he's, uh, he's a black man who has a, uh, a felony on his record from like 20 years ago. 
So in that setting, he's about as powerless as anyone can be. He has about as, as low of authority and power and privilege as anyone can have. And then you get me walking in who has a perfectly clean record. I'm a white man and I'm, I'm dressed in a suit and I'm his pastor. So just my presence there with him brings a power that has nothing to do with any of my own abilities or my own goodness, but just my presence there with him brings something to this situation that he didn't have. And the only reason I'm there is because he's a friend. He's my friend and I'm his friend. And where the illustration falls short is unlike this paraclete here, uh, it's been devastating for me. I mean, it's been, um, it's kind of destroyed me because I'm getting to experience how limited what I bring really is and yet how massive it really is for him. So it's, it's helped me. It's been this raw experience of, I think what Jesus is saying, he's, bring, he's giving the Holy Spirit to be for me. So that's who he is. He is with you. So who is the you that he's with? That's our question. What about you? Well, you would be the direct object of the sentence. Okay, am I, am I right? Anyone? What? Okay, good. He says, I'm right. So if, if he is the subject and the verb, if God is the subject and the verb, then I'm the object. I'm the direct object of all the things that he does for me. Is that just cool to me or is that cool to y'all? That's so, that's awesome. I get to be the one that all of who he is and what he does gets, gets oriented for, gets unleashed for, gets, gets put on display on behalf of. It's for me, it's for you. We are the direct objects of God in his work as the Holy Spirit. And so who are we? Well, we see it really clearly here. We are troubled. The reason he is who he is for us is because we are troubled. And we're not just troubled. We have troubled hearts. You read that in verse one, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus is giving the Holy Spirit and, and teaching on the Holy Spirit to 12 men with troubled hearts. Why are their hearts troubled? Well, they're troubled for the same reason your hearts are troubled. Because every single one of us perfectly fits into the place of the disciples here because every single one of us lives with troubled hearts. What do I mean? How is that true? Well, you have troubled hearts. I have a troubled heart because of the gap. You guys know about the gap? The gap is the gap between the way deep down you know and you feel things should be and then how they actually are. The gap is the gap between how things should be and how they actually are. And we live in that gap. We exist in this gap between the way God intended this world to be and how it really is. And so we experience trouble in the gap. We experience things as they shouldn't be. Let's start with just from the outside. Guys, look at the world. Look at this world we're living in today. The trouble of the world. Things are not as they should be. If you say this is the way things should be, I don't even know what I would say. The death, the violence, the, the way people treat one another, the way people talk to one another, the strife, the abuse, even our natural world, the disease, 
guys, this is not the way things should be. And yet it's the way things are. And so that gap creates troubled hearts. And really, let's call it what it is. It's pain. It's not, it's not just hard. I mean, it is. Let's just call it what it is. It's, it's pain. Living in the gap, living with troubled hearts, living with the trouble of this world wounds our hearts. They're troubled hearts because they're wounded hearts. We have to get in touch with that for any of the work of the Holy Spirit to apply to us. We have to get in touch with the woundedness, the troubledness of our hearts. And that can be challenging when you have all the resources to cover over the troubledness of your heart. When you can medicate it, when you can spend it away, when you can fill it with friends, with good times, all of which are wonderful things. But if they're used to cover over the troubledness and the woundedness of your heart, then the Holy Spirit cannot be with you in your trouble. And if you think you have protected yourself from the trouble of the outside world, maybe you have, but the gap doesn't just exist outside of you. The gap actually exists inside of you. The gap is inside of me because who has caused the trouble of the world? We have, I have. Every single one of us is complicit in our woundedness. (laughs) We're complicit in our trouble. We have created the pain and the trouble for others just like they have created the pain and trouble for us and we've created our own trouble. You've wounded your own heart. You've done things, you've said things, you've treated yourself inside your own head in a certain way that has hurt you. So the gap is not just outside of us, it's in us. And the Bible calls all of it sin. You see how that's a much broader, more robust understanding of sin than just simply you've done bad things. Jesus loves good boys and girls. So just quit doing the bad things. That's, that's part of it. Because here, right at the beginning of 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But sin is, is just the, the corruption that has messed with everything. It's the cancer that has come in, has infiltrated and broken your own heart, your behavior, the way you think, how you act, and everything else and everyone else that causes the brokenness of this world. And so in this context of Jesus giving the Holy Spirit, we all get to receive the Holy Spirit from a posture of trouble. And if, if we, with our trouble, do anything other than submit it to Jesus, one of two things will happen. We're all at a fork in the road right now. As you're listening to me, The only next step, if it's not submitting our trouble to Jesus, there's only one of two things that we'll do. We will blame everyone else for it. We will make it so much bigger in the world. It'll be uncontrollable. We'll feel absolutely swamped by the trouble of this world. Trust me, it will get that way if you let it. And you'll be done. You'll be like, it's worthless. It's hopeless. There is no God. There's no help. Or you'll do what some of us do and you'll turn it inward and you blame yourself. And you're so wrong, you're so broken, you're so lost, no one could possibly love you. No one could possibly even get close to you in it. No one could possibly save you. Those are the two options that we have with our trouble unless we submit it to Jesus. 
And that is where the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity for you. Because where is he in your trouble? He's not in front of you, right? He's not in front of you going, hey, come on, get up here. Get up here and get over it. He's not behind you kicking you forward saying, come on, man, just run harder. He's not above you looking down saying, you better get it right. Rise to my level. No, he's with you in your trouble. He is with you. He's standing in the gap with you. That is what it means for the Holy Spirit to be with you. With is the preposition. It's the most beautiful part of speech in the Bible. It's the most beautiful word in the Bible, with. He is with you. You are not alone. Your trouble is not bigger than it is. And he is not smaller than he is. So what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit with our trouble, in our trouble, he stands in the gap with us and he feeds us with Jesus. I don't remember who said it. Some of y'all might know, but someone has said the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. His goal and his job and his purpose and his joy is to turn you away from your trouble or at least carrying your trouble in a new direction to Jesus. He stands like a friend with you in your trouble, which is exactly what, you're, what you want your friends to do, right? Every one of you, if you could raise your hand and say, yes, just give me a friend that's with me in my trouble, please. You don't gotta fix me. You don't gotta tell me the thing I should hear. You just want someone to be with you. The Holy Spirit is, but he's also more than that because he stands with you and he feeds you with Jesus. How do we see that in this passage? We see that because it calls the Holy Spirit in verse 17, even the spirit of truth. Even the spirit of truth. And then look again in verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, listen to what he does. He will teach you all things, which is truth. He will teach you the truth. And, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you which is again, the truth. So the Holy Spirit's job is to teach you the truth, to lead you to the truth, to guide you into the truth and to remind you of the truth. Who is the truth? John 14, verse six, just a few verses in between the parts we read. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth because the Holy Spirit feeds you with the truth, with Jesus. So in your trouble, if the Holy Spirit is with you, it means he's giving you the truth of Jesus. And what is the truth of Jesus? That you are not your trouble. That it is not bigger than it actually is. Your trouble is not so big outside of you. And it's not about all who you blame and how powerful they are and how broken everything is. That's not the truth. The truth is not also how horrible you are and how hopeless you are and how, how just absolutely corrupt and there's no way anyone could love you. That's not the truth because Jesus stands in that gap in the Holy Spirit and says, you are my son. You are my daughter. Even in your trouble, I delight in you and I have redeemed you from your trouble. Because just a few chapters later in John, the same Jesus who gives his disciples the Holy Spirit in their trouble goes up to the cross to die for their trouble, to die for their sin. And he stands up on the cross. He takes all the sins of every single one of us and all the sins of his disciples 
on himself and, and experiences the physical and spiritual suffering for that so that he can say, it is finished. That your trouble is finished because of me. And it's why there in verse 27, Jesus can say, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The world gives us trouble. And Jesus says, in your trouble with me, you have peace. Flip one page over in your Bible for me. And I want to end by reading chapter 16, verse 33. This is the same conversation with the same disciples, same Jesus. He's saying the same things. And listen to what he says in verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. What's the opposite of peace? Trouble. War, strife, all the things we've just talked about. And he says, you will not have that, you'll have peace. And then what does he say? In the world, you will have tribulation or trouble or pain. He's giving us the beautiful, comforting, explanatory, like helps you explain and understand how you feel reality, which is that you have peace in Jesus and you have trouble in the world that peace in Jesus is not the absence of pain, that your heart will still deceive you. You will still believe the craziness of the trouble and you have Jesus with you. And through the Holy Spirit, that crazy, that crazy can begin to lessen a little bit. And you can begin to hold the reality of your pain and the reality of the peace and the joy and the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in the same hands. And Jesus finishes this conversation with them and he says, take heart, that thing that gives you trouble, I have overcome it. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And so there's a reality this leaves us with that we preach on sometimes and I wish we could preach on more, which is that revelation is coming. Like revelation being like the tearing of the curtain for you to begin to see not the gap between the way things should be and the way things are, but you begin to live and you will be living as things were actually intended to be. In other words, there will be a time where there is no more trouble. The world is not giving you pain. The world is not giving you trouble. The gap within your own heart won't exist. It will be one in Jesus. And it will be only peace and it will be only joy and you will be living and experiencing the fullness, not the brokenness and the incompleteness, but the fullness of who you were created to be. Take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to apply that reality, that real thing for us now in our trouble. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you um, for uh, thank you for the troubled hearts of the disciples. Goodness, Lord, if it weren't for the troubled hearts of the disciples, you maybe wouldn't have taught them this, and we wouldn't have gotten this. Which means, Lord, um, and I say this with with even compassion for myself because I don't want to believe it, but I thank you for my own trouble. Lord, I I know what it's like 
in the, in the brief moments when I don't feel like I'm in trouble and I'm pretty far from you. So thank you even for the trouble of this world that you have used to bring us into this, this new supernatural, mysterious and true relationship with your Holy Spirit who is with us in our trouble. Lord, if it means that we need to confess the places that we have strayed from even seeing our trouble, if we have strayed from even seeing our sin and we're living in sin and, and you know, we've called it good, we've called it right, we've called it okay, we've, we've called it eh, whatever. Lord, if we've strayed from the troubledness of our hearts in that way, Lord, bring us back. Call us back, not to wallow in our shame, but to be really and truly who you are so you can be really and truly who you are, which is the paraclete, the one who is standing by our side as our friend shouting out, it is finished, redeemed, transformed son and daughter, you are mine and I have overcome the world. Would the, would the voice of that spirit be even louder and louder for us here, for myself, for every one of the people that's in this room today, would it, the spirit of Jesus be louder shouting for us? So uh, as we practice that and worship, um, fill our hearts with joy. And as we go home back into the trouble of this world, uh, give us courage and peace that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen.